is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel's Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. God knows His Word. It's His Word. He speaks it before it ever happens. How is that true? So we've got some things still projected on the list to come. Are they going to happen? Well, of course they are. They're truth. God is faithful. And so we read it, not only to know how we can live today, but know what to expect as it comes. We can be prepared. God has us prepared for that which is to come. No other book is prophetic in nature, and if they have been, they get removed from the shelves very quickly. People stop buying them. The Bible is prophetic by nature, and as such, there are events in fairly recent history that the Bible predicted. For example, the Bible prophesied the rebirth of the country of Israel. But why does this matter? Why is it important that the Bible is prophetic? It's important to realize the accuracy of the Bible because it is given to us by God. If we can trust this book he's given us, how much more can we trust in God himself? Today, join Pastor Troy as he brings his teaching on belief and unbelief to a close. Now, here's Pastor Troy in John chapter 10 as he continues this message, The Nature of Belief and Unbelief. The Son of God is only used to describe Jesus and it's not a general term for sonship like I have inherited some of my father's traits but as a term that means I am of the exact same DNA. I am of the exact same. In Hebrews, it says he was the exact image of his person. If God had a body, if God had an image, he does. It's Jesus. He is the exact image, the express image of his person. So Jesus is saying, if I am that, The son of God, if I'm claiming to be not only equal with and giving his word to you, but I'm saying I am from there. I came from there. I'm sent here. On top of that, I'm claiming to speak his words. How can you be so mad that I'm claiming to be equal with him in speech when you've accepted this from men? Poking holes. So Jesus uses the word of God to poke holes in their case against him that he should be killed for claiming to be equal in authority. And then he goes on to say, and if you don't believe my spoken claims, at least acknowledge the works. Look at the works. They validate, they verify who I am. They verify my claims. You see, there were scriptures that the Messiah would perform miracles. They would perform miracles and that he would also heal The blind would see, the lame would walk, and these things had been done. He's saying, believe that. It's not just I'm claiming, look at the works that validate. But see, the thing about unbelief is that it neglects even the testimony of Scripture. Now, we understand the unbeliever. They say, I don't believe that book. But I'm going to tell you this. 
Even Christians hit walls in their growth and their ability to grow because of unbelief. They don't want to go that far. I don't want to embrace that quality or that truth. God's got to do a work in that heart. Because it's not a matter of, I need more questions answered. It's, I need to put down my life and go, this is the word of God. I think it's funny how two Christians will have two different perspectives on something. And then the one Christian might say, well, here's why we believe this. The word of God says this, and the word of God says this, and the word of God says this, and the word of God says this. And so we build our life on the word of God. This is why. And then the other Christian will say, well, I don't believe that way. And what about this circumstance? And what about that circumstance? And what about this person? And what about that? And they start pointing to the world or the culture or to circumstances or to things rather than to the word of God. Guys, we got to be careful because it happens a lot that will, I don't see it that way. And then we point to circumstances in the world around us to justify why we're not going to embrace that. Whereas others are going, well, the Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this. That's why we do what we do. We need to learn to build our lives on the word of God, not based upon the culture, not based upon, and this is really an excuse. Well, what about this circumstance? What if this circumstance happens? Well, are you in that circumstance? No, but what if it happens? Okay, so now you're just dodging. Now you're just dodging because you don't want to deal with it. You're like some martyr for that group of people. Well, the truth is, you're not in that circumstance, and this is the word of God. What are you standing on? And this is the way we've got to confront even those in the church to go, look, we've got to build our lives on the truth of God's word. Because we're not going to grow otherwise. So, unbelief neglects the testimony of Scripture. Look at verse 40. We'll move on to belief now. Verse 40, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Now let's just touch on the simple nature of belief. We're going to look at two natures of belief. And we're going to see that belief is fairly simple. One, it evaluates objective evidence. It evaluates objective evidence. When some of those saw that those who were blind could now see that Jesus did the miracles, they said, well, John didn't do any of these miracles, but he was a very notable man. And he pointed to Jesus and Jesus has done those miracles. And so I think we can trust the testimony of John. Because look at what's happened. He's a good man, he's pointed, and then there's evidence, there's objective evidence. So they see this and they go, I'm going to accept that objective evidence because no one has ever been able to do these things. So we're going to accept this, let this help us make our decision about what's right, what's true. Objective evidence is not tainted by emotions Or our biases. Objective evidence is observable fact that has to be factored into the equation. It's seen, it's not presumed. 
It's not like, well, this has happened three times, so I can assume that's not objective. This is objective. It has happened three times. I've seen it. So objective evidence for Jesus were the signs. Look at the signs. I'm not quoting people from a long time ago that did things. You've seen the signs. So can you not believe? But Jesus is always met with unbelief. Did you know that our faith is not some blind faith? It's not just, hey, here's what we believe. Here's the way we believe it. Just accept it. And and just accept it. And that's blind faith. Believe whichever one you're going to believe. If that's what you think faith is, and that's what we're putting our faith in, then yeah, I guess all roads lead to the same place. Hell. But our faith is actually based upon evidence. I'm not going to go into all of that today. But Hebrews 11.1 says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What this is talking about, really, is you can say you have faith. I have faith. But faith is really the substance. I have a hope. You don't know I have that hope. But you will know I have that hope when I live my life in a way you can actually see it that goes, oh, he has a hope. He's living his life like he has a hope. And it's the evidence of things unseen. So I say I believe in the Lord. You can see there's an evidence that that's true, not just some claim, because anyone can claim that. So Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, understood that there is something observable about a genuine faith. Well, there are objective things about Christianity that if you're honest in your evaluation of them, they just make sense. They're reasonable. And I'll just point to one. The Bible, the book that's so under fire. But listen, we have it in our hands, and it is a compilation of 66 books, different books. You can go to any historian and get evidence that these were compiled, written at different times by over 40 authors, over 1,500 years. A lot can change in that much time. We've had one generation and a lot's changed in perspective and views of certain things. So 1,500 years with writings about controversial subjects like the origin of the universe, the eternal nature of things, the problem of man, sin and suffering. And yet all of these authors agree and point to one single thing. And that is the plan of God to redeem through the Messiah who is to come. Stay tuned to hear more from today's teaching on building on the solid rock. Pastor Troy Neely has been sharing insights from God's Word with us. He'll have much more to share on the next part of this message. We are so glad you've tuned in today. We pray you've been encouraged and challenged by what you've heard. If you've been touched by this program or if you have any questions about building on the solid rock, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. That's info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. You can also find out more about this program by visiting buildingonthesolidrock.com. Listen to previous teachings as well and even subscribe to our podcast. Now here's Pastor Troy with more of today's message. It's crazy. The Bible 
is prophetic by nature. Now, we look back today, and a lot of it has been fulfilled, and we can point back to it, but there's a lot of it still to be fulfilled. But can you imagine having lived in the time of 1948, where there's a scripture about the dry bones being brought to life? Son of man, breathe into those bones. They're dry. They are dry, man. They're dead. But breathe into them. Breathe. The sinews come upon them. They come together, and they come together, and there's, they're alive again. Well, who knew what that meant before 1948? But now, because of the context, the understanding of the nation that would be brought back to life, Israel from nothing, dead, non-existence, we go, Wow. God knows his, well, God knows his word. It's his word. He speaks it before it ever happens. How is that true? So we've got some things still projected on the list to come. Are they going to happen? Well, of course they are. They're truth. God is faithful. And so we read it, not only to know how we can live today, but know what to expect as it comes. We can be prepared. God has us prepared for that which is to come. No other book is prophetic in nature, and if they have been, they get removed from the shelves very quickly. People stop buying them. Like, 1986, why the rapture's gonna, you know, all those predictions about things. Whoop, where's that book? Well, it's beyond 1986. It's irrelevant. It's not true. But the Bible just keeps fulfilling prophecy. Talks about people and events before they happen. Mentions people by name before they were born, and what they would do. Predict the rise and fall of nations before those nations existed and what would result. That's not true with other religious books out there, like Mormonism. The Mormons, when they would go out, they don't do this anymore, but they used to go out and to give themselves some backing, they would say, yeah, all these places we claim in Missouri and all these other things that happened in the United States, call the Smithsonian. Contact them. They will verify it. Well, people did. They would contact the Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian said, look, that's not true. We've never heard of any of this stuff. Can you please stop having people contact us? And they've stopped. Because they can't verify or validate anything, but not so with the scriptures. We can reconstruct the entire New Testament, 97, 98. The percentage may have gone up with excavations now to include names, places, dates, everything. So... We're not just blindly believing here. There's evidence. Then there's the historical death of Jesus Christ. His resurrection, where is he at? They still can't find those bones, even those who would like to fake it. His recorded claims and the eyewitnesses and their recorded accounts. The death of his followers, those who, if it were fake and Jesus showed up and it was just some plot, all of them dying because they're going to stand in that? Then there's Israel, which I just mentioned, their existence, that they've come back from nothing to exist as a nation with the same God. Then there's the tension in the world. Well, the Bible talks all about that and why it would revolve around them and that people in that place. Observable, very observable. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's exactly what's going on, isn't it? The smart, intelligent people are the ones who are saying, you believe in that nonsense? We've got evolution. Now he's got some questions, like natural selection and all that. I could sit here all day and kind of, bing, 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 bing. But if we evolve from apes, why do we still have apes? I mean, they're still here. Were they, you know, did my great great gram not do what she should have done and now that line went that direction? It's just, they're, well, they're fools, just like the Bible says. Oh, it said that. Professing to be wise, they became fools. How prophetic. So, our faith is not a blind faith, it's actually very observable. And there's so much more to observe. But not only that, it appreciates subjective testimony. The people who come to Jesus out of the wilderness, they remember the testimony of John the Baptist, and they go, John the Baptist was a good, godly man. Now, he never did these kind of miracles, so when he points to this guy, man, you take his testimony and you couple it with what we've seen, and they said, we believe. It made a lot of sense. They're standing in the same area, by the way, where Jesus began his ministry and John the Baptist was baptizing. It's like, you know, you had to come back to this place and remember what was spoken and what was said, and it's come to pass. Sometimes that's where we need to be. We need to go, we need to reflect, look back and go, you know, I could see God's hand. If I really think about it honestly, I can see God's hand in my life. What did John say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John called Jesus the Son of God also. He said of Jesus, He is preferred before me because He is before me. Speaking of His eternal nature, because John the Baptist, if you talk about birth order, John the Baptist was born before Jesus, so Jesus was not before Him. He had to be speaking of something else. No, He is before me. Now, how many of you would say something like that about one of your relatives? That's a big claim. It was testimony. 2,000 years ago, about, Jesus lived on this earth and he changed lives. It's a fact. Lives were changed. Those lives through recorded history gave themselves up for their faith and their belief. What did they see? Well, they saw the risen Christ. They knew there was a resurrection. They had a glimpse of the future, and they knew that death wasn't the end. And they gave their lives because they believe. But even since that time, Jesus, the one the Scriptures declare is risen, has still been changing lives, even to this day, because He is alive. You see, there's evidence all over the world that Jesus is alive, and in every generation that Jesus is alive. But people will have a family member come to faith in Christ. They'll see miraculously the work of God and they will still go back to, it's amazing what I saw. He's a different person, but the way is too narrow. They will still go back and hide behind that shield. Well, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult, or the word is actually confined, confined is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you're an honest person, truth will always lead you to Christ, that which is true. You start with your most basic, is this true? What's the problem in our marriage? Well, if we get to the honest truth, I want this and she wants that. Okay, and we have wars because of it. Every time we get on this subject or every time we get in this place, I want this, she wants that. Okay, that's the truth. Now the rest is just fluff. Yeah, but but hers is wrong because, no, no, no. The truth is I want this, she wants that. I want something, they want something, and there's a war. That's the truth. Well, the truth is how do we resolve that? Well, if you believe in the scriptures, then we have to let the scriptures, if you believe in the Lord, then we got to let his word say, hey, here's the right thing. So this side selects a few scriptures and finds some support for theirs. This side maybe finds a few support for theirs. What do we do? This is the beautiful thing about the roles God has given in the scriptures. Because if you're single, it's easy. You go, I don't care what that person says. I see all the scriptural support and I believe this is what God wants me to do, so I'm going to do this. But in marriage is where the problem comes in. So you got two people. So God says, look, all men are created equally, definitely. Love the Constitution. But I've given roles. And so when there is an impasse, I'm going to hold the man accountable. I'm going to hold him accountable. If he makes a bad decision, if he makes a selfish decision, not considering others, and it's just all about him, I'm going to hold him accountable. So man, lead. Make a decision. This is godly. This could be good. This is godly. This could be good. What are you going to do? So you have the two roles that work together to help us move forward God's way. Now, some may get frustrated at that and go, well, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. Well, it's the Bible, for one. He established the roles. But two, if you don't like that, don't get married. Because that's the way it is. So you got a choice, right? You see what I did? I've just followed some chains of truth. Now, all the details within the arguments don't matter. They're going to vary. It's confusing, muddy, murky. But this is truth. It's the Word of God. It's very pure, clean. Easy to discern. So, the way is confined. And few there are who find it. But I didn't say that. Those were red letter words there. Jesus said that. So a question. One, we don't have to apologize for anything. Except for maybe there are some groups who claim to be Christians who are out there totally misrepresenting the Lord, yelling at people, getting in their faces with anger. And that is not the Lord at all. I'm ashamed that they would even call themselves Christian. But other than that, we have nothing to apologize for or be ashamed for. The world can put us down. They can mock us. They can call us ancient. They can call us narrow. But I stand on God's word. So the question is, do you believe? Or do you still have excuses? Are you still making all kinds of excuses? The way is too narrow. I don't see it that way. And you give all your reasons. Where do you stand? If you have doubt, that's fine. Take your honest doubts before the Lord. But 
There is no in-between. You can't claim to doubt. God knows different. You have to make a decision. Jesus said, He was not with me, is against me. Thanks for joining us today on Building on the Solid Rock. We hope you've learned some new things today as Pastor Troy taught through the Gospel of John. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit our website at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We also have an archive of previous messages available to you free of charge, ready to be listened to online, or even downloaded and shared with friends and family. We're so blessed to be a part of your life in this way, and we'd love to hear how you've been impacted by Building on the Solid Rock. Feel free to send us an email to info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We love being able to connect with our listeners in this way, and your feedback helps us continue to build this ministry. Next time, Pastor Troy will share more from the Gospel of John and express additional examples of how Jesus proved he was unlike any other man that has ever lived. Join us then right here on Building on the Solid Rock. Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in